Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, I'm going to give us a little faith primer tonight. Uh, and so we're going to read some scriptures that are familiar to you and, uh, and make some comments. And then I believe the Lord's going to say some things that'll be very helpful. Amen. Amen. So turn with me. We're going to look at quite a few, well, several scriptures to begin with, and then we'll focus on a few of them. Look at, uh, the first chapter of Romans, Romans chapter one, glory to God, Romans one. Hallelujah. Verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek or the Gentile. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It really cannot overemphasize the subject of faith, because this is how the righteous, this is how born again people, when it says the just, it's talking about the church. It's talking about those who have been justified by Christ Jesus, those who have been made righteous in Christ. Uh, We live by faith. We come to him by faith, but we live by faith. Amen. And then go with me over to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, glory to God. Hallelujah. Actually, if you go back to the 10th chapter, just a couple of verses, you'll notice verse 38 says, now the just shall live by faith. We just read that in Romans chapter uh, chapter one here in, in Hebrews 10, it says the same thing, the just shall live by faith. Uh, if you drop down to chapter uh, 11, verse six, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, please him, he's talking about God, For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, a lot of people believe that he is, but pleasing faith, the faith, the kind of faith that pleases God, not only believes that he exists, but that he's a rewarder, that he'll actually answer your prayers, that he'll actually do what you ask him to do, that he'll actually fulfill his word and, and bring his word to pass when you pray and believe God. When you exercise your faith, he will respond. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Doug has already talked about the importance of seeking God. And, uh, you know, okay, all right, praise the Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. Go with me to uh, Luke's gospel. And let's look at the hallelujah. Not sure which verse that is. I know where it is in Matthew. Go with me over to Matthew and we'll find it there. In uh, Matthew, the seventh chapter, 
It brings out something in Luke that we're going to look at. But in Matthew chapter 7, he said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now, in Luke's gospel in the 11th chapter, let's look at it there because there's something here I think that'll help us. Hadn't intended to go this route, but things change. Amen. And uh, we have this, this same teaching in the ninth verse, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened unto you. I've often been drawn to that Uh, to that phraseology there, asking, seeking, and knocking. They're not the same thing. And it's best described if you go back or explained, if you go back to verse number five. And like I said, you don't see this in in, uh, Matthew's account of this, but in Luke's version, he gives a background to this. And in verse five, this is Luke Luke 11, five, He said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Uh, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and and give him as many as he needs. So I sow, therefore, in light of that, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. In the uh, Greek, it says, ask and keep on asking. And then it says, seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking and it will be open to you. Now we know that the just shall live by faith. And we know that faith is the evidence of things not seen. uh, The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And we know that faith believes it receives when we ask. And he said here, ask and it shall be given unto you. That's, that's the simplest uh, exercise of faith. Just asking and believing. And he says, everyone who asks receives. If you think about it, the reason, the reason you can believe you receive is because you do. Because every, excuse me, everyone who asks receives. Now, if you ask according to the word of God, According to the will of God, we know if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So if we're not asking according to his will, then we don't have the assurance. But this is the confidence, the assurance we have that when we ask anything uh, according to his will, he hears it. If we know that he hears us, then we know we have. Why? Because everyone who asks receives. Now, you have to maintain your faith. You have to hold on to what you've received. But Jesus set this teaching, this instruction about asking, seeking, and knocking, 
He said it in the context of persistence. Persistence. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. Seek. That word seek in the, uh, in the original uh, Greek means to search something out for the purpose of, of uh, discovering something. There are times in our lives where we have to seek some things. And it requires some persistence. Because not everything that is important in our spiritual life can be uh, laid hold of uh, right away. Sometimes we have to grow in some areas. In order to walk in the fullness of what God has for us, we sometimes need to grow. So we begin to ask God for things, but then... If, if sometimes there's a, there's a seeking in order to discover, in order to find out something. And that, that's, that goes beyond just a simple asking. If you're sick, you don't have to uh, seek the knowledge of God's will because you know that healing belongs to you. Isn't that right? And so you ask and you believe you receive. But sometimes, in, in, even in the exercise of faith, we have to do some seeking in order to discover maybe why it's not working the way it should. Yeah. I know that uh, uh, Brother Hagen used to read after a medical doctor who turned uh, preacher. She was a, uh, uh, her name was uh, Lillian Yeoman. She was a medical doctor, and in her... Uh, working the long hours at the hospital where she worked, she, uh, she used a lot of narcotics, you know, administered no- narcotics to people. So she started taking a little bit of these narcotics to help her get through her shifts. She became a narcotic addict. And she lost her, her medical license. I mean, she lost her reputation, lost everything. And she turned to God. She was, she was hopelessly addicted. She went through treatment plans, you know, she went through the places they sent them back then, you know, to get people straightened out, and she'd come out just as addicted as she went in. She was, she was really a mess. She began to cry out to God, and God supernaturally delivered her from, from uh, a drug addiction. And so she devoted her life to the Lord and, and began to preach and, and uh, became a great woman of faith. And so Brother Hagen always recommended her books to us. And so I have those and I've read, haven't read every word of every one of them, but I've read a lot of her material. And uh, she made this statement. She said, if I ask God for anything and I don't receive it, she, says, she said, then I have to change the way I'm praying. Because if anybody's going to change, it's not going to be God. It's going to have to be me. You see, so she said, if, if, I, if I ask and I don't receive, then I know there's something wrong on my end. There's nothing wrong on God's end. So she said, then I, I, I have to change how I'm, how I'm asking. Well, how, how, what are you going to change? You're, going to, you're not going to know what to change unless you seek God and find out. And I heard Brother Hagin say this. He said, after he read this, he said, he, he, he uh, confirmed this. He said, I have followed that same practice all of my life. He, he said, if I ask God for anything and I don't get it, he said, I go, I change because if, if, if it's going, I can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results. 
And, uh, and so if it's not working, then something's going to have to change. And so there's, there's, that's what I'm saying is sometimes there's a, an aspect of seeking in our life. And that goes beyond just the asking of what, for what we know belongs to us. We have to seek God. You're not seeking him for the blessing. You're not seeking him for the healing. You're seeking him to learn something. And then he went on to say, knock, and it will be open. Well, that's more aggressive even than seeking. That, you know, why, why do you knock? What do you think that means, knock? That means like knock on the door. Why do you knock on the door? To get somebody's attention. And because there's something in there you want. And so knocking is, is, uh, uh, is, is more aggressive than just seeking. And so these are three different levels of, of persistence. There's simple asking, but then there's going a step further and seeking, and then there's knocking. Uh, go over to Second uh, Kings. Second Kings. And let's look at the first chapter. Excuse me, the second uh, second chapter of First King, uh, Second Kings. I'll get this straight. Second Kings, chapter two, verse one. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha to Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. Now, it's interesting that Elijah didn't just command Elisha. He said, stay here, please. He asked him to stay. And Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know, keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, it is Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know, keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, What may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now what he was asking for, and people have mistakenly said that he was asking for a double portion of the spirit. 
And so they erroneously say, we, we, we need a double portion of God's Holy Spirit. That's not what he was asking. He was asking for a double portion of the anointing that was on Elijah. And uh, if you read, you know, what happened after this, you know that Elisha, had a, he, he received that. He did twice as many miracles that, than, than Elijah did. But I want you to notice, uh, Elijah said originally, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Elisha said, nothing doing. I'm not leaving you. You can't shake me. I'm, I'm sticking with you. And, of course, there were prophets all along the way that picked up. They had some insight. They had revelation, but they didn't know the whole picture. And uh, I don't know if they were just trying to impress Elisha or what they were doing. But uh, maybe they looked upon Elisha, you know, as less than them. Because he was, they, were, they were fully in the office of the prophet, and he was just the prophet's servant. So maybe they were looking down on him, trying to shame him. I don't know what was going on there. But uh, he said, yeah, I know. I know all about it, and I'm not interested in talking to you. And then Elisha said, or Elijah said, stay here. The Lord sent me to Jericho. Elisha said, no, I'm not leaving you. I'm staying with you. And the same thing happened again. The prophets came out. Then Elijah said to him, stay here for the Lord sent me on to, to the Jordan, the Jordan River. And he said, uh, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. So finally, uh, after uh, Elijah had taken his mantle and smote the water and the water of the Jordan River parted and they went over on dry ground, Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? And Elisha said, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now notice in verse 10, he said, Elijah said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be so for you. But if not, it will not be so. You have asked a hard thing. In the margin of my old Cambridge Bible, my King James Bible, uh, I had uh, a King James Bible that I bought right after, uh, I think right after I graduated from Raymer, right after I started pastoring. And uh, it was a Cambridge ed- edition. And in the margin of my Cambridge Bible, uh, where it says you've asked a hard thing, it says in the in the Hebrew, it says, of course it's, Talking in King James, you know, says, Thou hast done hard in asking. Thou hast done hard in asking. Or you could say, You have been hard in asking. It wasn't that Elisha asked for a hard thing, he asked hard. In other words, he was persistent, he, he, he was determined in his asking. And that's what, that's what made the difference. He said, you've been persistent. You've, you've, you've been hard and determined in your asking. And he said, so if you see me when I'm taken away from you, it will be so for you. But if not, it will not be so. Even though he had followed him all this way, even though he had uh, sidestepped every opportunity and, and uh, temptation to turn aside and to be pushed off. He wouldn't do it. He was determined. He still had to follow through. And he said, if you don't see me, uh, what you've asked will not happen. But if you do see me, and he said, uh, now, then it happened as they continued on and talked. 
In other words, it didn't just happen immediately. But as they continued on and taught that suddenly, a chariot of fire with horses of fire appeared to them and separated the two of them and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. When Elisha saw it, he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold, that is, Elisha took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. In other words, the anointing of Elijah rests on Elisha and they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. The point that, that I think is important here is the being hard in the asking. There are some things in, in, in our Christian walk that we're not gonna just uh, waltz into. We're not just gonna easily get into some areas on Sundays, and this is kind of tied, I didn't intend to talk about this tonight, this is sort of ties into what I was ministering on Sunday. Uh, we all have a purpose in life. There's a plan for each one of us. And like I talked on Sunday, this purpose and plan has been given to us and, and was given to us before the, the foundation of this world. Think about that. Each one of us, each one of us, God knew us before he created the heavens and the earth. He knew us individually. And there was a call. Look at it again. Go over to Second uh, Timothy. Uh, <clears throat> Glory to God. Look at chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, verse 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of, of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before time began. God had a plan for you. But we're not just going to easily or casually fulfill God's plan for our life. It's going to require some asking, some seeking, some knocking. It's going, to, it's going to require some being hard in asking, being persistent in pressing in to the things of God. God has so much. I, I think sometimes we think, well, you know, yeah, there's a call on my life and, you know, it's just a small little something. Not in God's eyes. Not in God's eyes. You know, Pastor uh, Greg uh, 
showed a, a, a video clip Sunday night and showed these people that some endeavored to do God's will, but they didn't do what God asked them to do. And there was the woman, you, how many of you were here Sunday night? And she said, well, Lord, I've not done anything for you. I've, you know, I've just raised my children, you know, three children. And yet that's what God called her to do. And to God, that was everything. And whatever uh, God has called us to do, there are eternal implications. It's not just for this life. Well, God's called me to, to be a, a mom, you know, of, of three children or a dad, of, you know, of, of, you know, a family man, lead my family. That, that has eternal consequences. Raising children is, it cannot be overestimated in its value where God's concerned. Your place in life, uh, many of us are called as, as parents, but we're also called beyond that. Well, what, what is that place? What is that call? It's important that we follow, follow, find and follow that because there are eternal consequences. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. You have done hard in asking. May we not just ask, but may we seek and find out God's plan for our lives. And when uh, the going gets hard and it looks like we're going to be denied, notice that Elijah gave Elisha three opportunities Actually, four there at the end, because he told him, you're still going to have to stay with me and see this. But he gave him opportunities to turn back. He really didn't want him to, because he said, please, he could have ordered him to. But he, 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 he put obstacles in his path to require Elisha to, to, to dig down deep. And to have some determination, some passion, some, some uh, persistence to go after what God had for him. And in life, God allows us sometimes to go through things and experience things that seems to set us back. And he, he doesn't do those things, but he allows certain, certain things to happen in our life. And, and I talked about that, you know, a few weeks ago in teaching on suffering. There are some things that God leads us into in order to develop persistence, to develop character, to develop uh, uh, that, that strength that we're going to need to really fulfill his plan. And the, and, the, and the fulfillment of God's plan for any of our lives are, are, uh, is not going to be just easy all the time. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be challenges, Deborah. You're going to have to overcome those. Because, because the enemy wants to stop you. He wants to, he wants to hinder you and stop you. But I'm telling you, there's a plan. And, and, and don't be stopped by anything. Don't be stopped. Amen. And the same is true for all of us. Well, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. I think that's it on that subject. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Go with me now back to what we were talking about. And uh, let's go to Romans chapter 
12, Romans chapter 12. Verse number three says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Faith is measurable. Notice it says God has dealt to each one a measure what do you think of when you hear the word measure? You think of, a, of some type of a measuring cup or a measuring rule, some type of, of uh, quantifying uh, something, a measure. He's given to every one of us a measure of faith. Well, we all have the salvation measure of faith or we couldn't be saved. For by grace were you saved through faith. So salvation comes through faith and we all have salvation faith, saving faith, uh, because that's how we came to Christ. Uh, We each one have a measure of faith, but that measure can be increased. I know people, and I know you do too, you know people who are strong in faith for basic salvation. I mean, you could, you, could, you could persecute them. You could line them up, you know, before a firing squad and they would not give up their faith in Christ. They're, they just believe in Jesus and they serve him and they live for him and they witness. But when it comes to faith for other things, they don't have an ounce of faith. Well, you know, you can't have faith for something if you don't know it, don't know anything about it. I've run into people like that, you know, in this town. People who, good church people, love God. They're fruitful Christians, you know, they've got good testimonies. But if you start trying to go just a little bit deeper with them, just, you know, bring up some other aspect of our inheritance, they'll just throw up their hands and, you know, not physically, but you know what I mean, just throw up all kinds of resistance and want to start arguing with you. Well, they don't have any faith where that's concerned. There are measures, different measures of faith spoken of in the New Testament. One time Jesus asked his disciples, how is it that you have no faith? Now they had faith to follow him, but they didn't have faith to obey him all the time. Remember uh, what he told uh, Downing Thomas? He said, reach your hand Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I can see the, the, the print of the nails in his hands. Unless I can put my hand, my fingers into, into those prints and put my hand into, into those wounds on his side. He said, I will not believe. Jesus appeared to him and says, now stop being faithless. You know what, you know what being faithless is? Only believing something if you can see it and hear it and feel it. That's, that's faithless. Some people say, Well, seeing is believing. No, seeing is not believing. Believing is not seeing. (laughs) Though you see it not, you still believe. That's what faith is. So the Bible talks about no faith, talks about being faithless. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he said, all men do not have faith. You've met some of them, haven't you? Some people don't have any faith. 
Some people have little faith. Jesus said, O ye of little faith. In uh, Romans chapter 4, it talks about Abraham said not being weak in faith, but being strong in faith. So, so there's weak faith, there's strong faith. And then the centurion came to Jesus and said, you don't have to come to my house, just speak, your, speak the word only and my servant will be healed. And, and, uh, and he said, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. It's interesting, there's two people in the gospels that were told they had great faith. The centurion was a Gentile and, and the uh, woman from Cana who came you know, for her daughter and, and she, would not, she would not be denied. She had that persistence. She, she was asking, seeking and knocking. You know, she came. And, and she wanted to, her, her daughter to be delivered. And the disciples pushed her away. But she persisted. And they said, they came to Jesus and said, send her away. And, and Jesus even pushed her away. He said, well, you know, it's not even fitting to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. My goodness. She said, what was she doing? She was hard in her asking. She wasn't going to be, I mean, that, that'd be discouraging. But she was determined to lay hold of something. She said, yeah, but even the dogs eat the crumbs. He said, woman, great is your faith. It's interesting, the only two people that ever, Jesus ever said had great faith were not even, it didn't even have a covenant with God. They were, they were sinners. They were, you know, just uh, away. Didn't, didn't the covenants of God and the word of God didn't even belong to them. Not everybody that goes to church has great faith. Amen. Anybody can have great faith. Hallelujah. Your faith can grow. Go over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Thank God my faith can grow. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 15 not boasting of things beyond measure. Now, this measure is not the measure of faith. This was the, the measure of influence or ministry that he had. He said, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased. Notice there is a, there, this, is a, this indicates and suggests a process. As your faith is increased. We're not going to go to strong faith overnight. None of us are. It's just not how it happens. He, he said in, uh, was it Second Thessalonians, your faith grows exceedingly. Well, that's a process. And, uh, in, and it's, a, it's, a, it's the result of a life of faith. Amen. We know there's only one way. That faith comes. It's only one way, and that's by hearing the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Prayer will not give you faith. Only hearing the word of God gives you faith. Hearing and hearing and hearing. And over and over and again, we see examples of that. The woman with the issue of blood, when she heard about Jesus. When, when uh, uh, Paul was ministering there in Philippi and uh, uh, he saw the man, I think it was at Philippi, he saw the man, the, the man heard Paul speaking 
And he had faith to be healed. He got faith from what he heard being spoken. So faith comes by hearing. That's how you get faith. Well, getting faith is only part of the transaction. You can, you can lay hold of faith by hearing the word. Really, every time you feed on the word on purpose. Now, if you just read the Bible just, you know, sort of religiously, you won't get anything out of it. But every time you look into the word and feed on it, faith comes. Faith comes into your heart. But faith has to be acted on to be strong. See, the woman with the issue of blood, she heard. And that created faith. But then she had to, she had to come and find him. She had to get out of the house. She had to leave the sick room. She had to make some effort. She, had, she found opposition when she got close to him because the people around him, she had to push her way in. And the Bible says that she kept saying. In the King James, it just says she said. But a couple other translations I have say that she kept saying, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. What was she doing? She was acting on her faith. Over in Romans chapter 4, talking about Abraham, it says, Abraham believed God, and it was in verse number 3, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. The Barclay, I think it's the Barclay translation, says, Abraham believed God, and this act of faith. Faith is, faith is something that comes into our heart by receiving the word of God, but it's when it's acted on that it begins to grow. Just like any other uh, aspect of physical growth, you become strong physically when you exercise. Isn't that right? And the less you exercise, the weaker you'll become. Isn't that right? Well, our, that's why we should always be uh, believing God. We should always be, be using our faith. Don't ever get to the place where you, just, where you allow yourself to coast where faith is concerned. You know, you've got your needs met and you're in good health and your family's fairly sane and, you know, people are doing all right, you know. And you can just coast if you're careful. But there are, there's more ground to be taken. There, there, I don't think any of us can say that we've reached the place where we've laid hold of everything we know God has for us. Well, don't, don't sit back. Exercise your faith. Well, I have all that I need. Well, believe God for somebody else. I mean, believe God for yourself to be a supply to somebody else. Amen. Glory to God. So there's only one way to get faith, and that is to get into the word, feed on the word. And then there's only one, one way to grow strong in faith, and that's by exercising it, acting on it. Uh, George uh, Mueller, uh, ran, he was a minister in the 1800s. He was born in 1805, and he died at 92 years old in, in 1898. And uh, he tried to be a preacher. That didn't work out. He couldn't get, you know, any opportunities to preach. He, he tried to join one particular ministerial group and, and uh, they rejected him and somebody else rejected him. And so the Lord led him to start a, an, a, an orphanage in England, in Bristol, England. So he started this, this orphanage and because he wasn't a preacher... Uh, he wasn't a pastor. He didn't have a network of supporters. He had nobody to help him. And this was in, you know, the, uh, I think this was in 1829 is when he first tried, when he was 24 years old, he tried to go in the ministry. I don't know how many years later it was that he started this, this, um, orphanage, but, uh, 
you know, he started it with nothing. And he started getting children off the street and bringing them in. And that was God's plan for his life. But he had no supporters. Now, this was before uh, he had no mailing list. He had nobody to, 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 to contact. He had no names. Now, they had mail back then, but he didn't know anybody. Nobody knew him. There was no radio. There was no way to get the message out. He had to believe God to feed and house these kids. Now, it is said that over the, the period of his life, the 50 years that he did this, that he raised over 10,000 children. Took them, I mean, completely became mom, dad, everything. Took them in and raised them. And it's, it, it's said that uh, he, he developed, I think it was like 117 schools. And his students, they came off the streets. These were orphans that had nothing. And he was actually criticized in life because they said his, the, the, the students that came out of his orphanage were, were better educated and more social and had more going for them than the common people did. And people didn't like it because he had such, such marvelous students. Now, at one time, he had 2,500 children that he housed. At, well, now, at all total over the years, over 10,000. But at one time, he had 2,500 children. Now, he had to feed them. He had to clothe them. He had to, you think you have a lot of kids? <laughs> Rayleigh's going, nothing doing. <laughs> 2,500 children. He had, that's a lot of housing. Uh, you don't put 2,500 kids in this building. I mean, that's, you had to have a lot of bill. He had to, he had to believe God for the buildings. He, he printed in his lifetime, he printed, I think it was over 500, maybe 600,000 Bibles and, and, and sent them out. He printed and distributed 1.4, almost 1.5 million New Testaments, sent them out. He printed 280,000 other types of gospel literature and sent them out. And he did all of that with no backers. He had to believe God for everything that came in. And there's one famous story of his, one time that he had all of his children assembled. He got them up, you know, and got them to the, to the dining hall, and it's, it's breakfast time, and there's no food, none, and nothing to eat. So they're just sitting there. And about that time, a, 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 a baker comes running in, and I don't remember the story of how it happened, but the baker had all of this bread that he needed to unload. So, huh? You think his horse died? And so he brings all this bread in and feeds the children. And then at the same time, uh, uh, a, a milkman was going. There was a milk truck passing by. And the milk truck broke down in front of the orphanage. And this guy comes in. He said, I've got all this milk and it's going to go bad. Can't get my truck repaired and it's going to go sour. Can you use this milk? The kids had bread and milk. And that was just one miracle after another that God did in his life. But it, it came to pass 
because he learned to believe God with a little. In his, in his last year of his life, he wrote that, that he began believing God for a one American dollar, now the equivalent of one U.S. dollar. He said before in his, in his, in his uh, 92nd year, he said, now I have the faith to believe for a million U.S. dollars. He said, I can believe God for a million dollars today as easily as I believe for one dollar 50 years ago. Well, how did that happen? It happened by exercising his faith, using his faith. He started where he was and he developed his faith. The problem with a lot of people is, I want to give you this stat too. Over his 50 years of ministry, he prayed in seven and a half million dollars in the 1800s. Today, I looked this up today, it was like 113 million, what's that squirrely looking thing, the pounds? Look, 113 million pounds. That's the equivalent of 151 million dollars today. He believed in. And he started by believing God for one dollar. And he said this. He said that every day he got up and he fed his faith. He said every morning he would get up and he would feed his faith. And then he would believe God for the needs of that day. And he said at the end of his life, I can believe God for a million just as easily as I believe for, a, for one dollar back then. Just the, the, the effort that it took just to believe in one dollar. He said, with that faith, I can believe in a million dollars today. I think a lot of our problem is a lot of times we want to start on the million dollar faith, you know. And, and we, want to be, we want to start out where Mueller ended up. But he didn't start there. You know, if you're going to climb a ladder, you're going to start off on, on the bottom rung. Or else you're not going to get up the ladder, isn't that right? The bottom rung is just starting out with what you have and what you know. Learn to believe God where you are. Amen. Amen. And, and exercise your faith and it'll grow. Praise the Lord. Amen. I remember, I'll close with this. I remember uh, Dad Hagen telling that there was a time in his, early in his ministry where it was all he could do, believe God for $150 a week. And uh, he said, that don't sound like much. He said, but that, he said, I had my faith maxed out. He said, I trimmed everything out else out of our budget. I cut out all of the extras. He just cut it back to the bare minimum. I had to have 150000 I mean $150 a week. And he said, my, my faith was stretched to the limit. He came home one, one after one ministry trip and, and Aretha was after him to buy some drapes for their house. We need some drapes. He said, honey, he said, I can't believe God for drapes. He said, if you want drapes, you're going to have to believe God. He said, because my faith is stretched as tight as, he said, if you throw those those drapes on my faith, the whole thing's coming down. (laughs) He said, so you're going to have to believe God. And so the point is, is he, he used his faith where he was and it grew. Use your faith where it is and it'll grow. Amen. Because faith is something that grows and it should continue to grow. Amen. Your measure of faith can be increased by feeding it on the word of God and by exercising it, putting it into practice. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Well, God is good, isn't he? Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you and we'll see you Sunday. 
At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.